Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On today, I am really excited to bring you special guest, Marissa Renee Lee. Marissa Renee Lee is a leading grief advocate. Her book, Grief is Love, Living with Loss, was published last April in 2022. It's already a national bestseller. Marissa Renee Lee is also a former appointee from the Obama White House. We will include all of the information about Marissa Renee Lee's work and, of course, links to learn more about the book, Grief is Love, which will be central to today's conversation. Before we dig into that conversation, we do have a touch of business, an announcement from Academy Westboro Academy. Parents and caretakers in the national capital region of Canada or those who might be considering a move to the national capital region and you're looking at school options for children, we encourage you to take a look at Academy Westboro Academy. AWA Academy Westboro Academy is a small independent school. It prides itself on offering a truly bilingual education to young learners from junior kindergarten to grade eight. While there is a strong emphasis on academics, equally important to their culture is cultivating a strong sense of community among their students. The staff and faculty at Academy Westboro Academy are each keenly invested in providing a nurturing environment for their students, one where everyone has a voice and the identity of each student is honored, recognized, and celebrated. Admissions for the 2023-24 academic year are already underway. If you'd like to learn more about the school and discover why it might be a great fit for your family, please visit www.westboroacademy.com or you can reach out to Chantal Bassett, Director of Admissions. Her email will be included, as will the link to the school over there in the show notes. They look forward to hearing from you. Now, on with today's episode. I'd love to start with a quote from your chapter that was entitled Safety. On pages 45 to 46, very specific here, you write, (laughs) quote, the best person to talk to probably isn't the person you went on two dates with or your office gossip buddy, end quote. Um, That chapter on safety, it talks simultaneously about this need for us to be vulnerable about grief and it balances it with, um, you know, the ways that we have to protect ourselves while doing so. And you touch upon the notion that vulnerability is a concept often discussed, um, but yet we still do seem to need many more nuanced conversations about it. In your research for the book, as well as in your lived experience, what are some of the questions that you needed to dig deeper into in order to come to your own conclusions about vulnerability? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And this was a really important chapter for me in this book. And it started out when my husband and I lost a much wanted pregnancy in 2019. And I just didn't have the energy to hide that fact or hide, you know, all of the feelings that came with that loss. And so I shared what happened everywhere, you know, with anyone who would listen, you know, I get on the phone with a client or uh, one of the partners in my work and they'd ask how I was doing and, and I would tell them the truth. And I got a lot of praise at that time for being vulnerable and, you know, people saying things like, 
they were so proud of me for being so vulnerable and it made me feel and even talking about it now like it just made me feel icky and like uncomfortable and sort of weird and I think when you are writing a book that includes elements of your life and the goal of the book is to use these experiences that you've had and the research that you've uncovered to help other people like you have to constantly be questioning yourself and question why things make you feel a certain way and so I started questioning you know like why did that make me feel so uncomfortable like why did it feel so weird and then I started comparing my loss of the pregnancy in 2019 and how I handled that loss to the loss of my mom in 2008 and how I responded to and sort of handled that loss in the immediate aftermath. And I realized that when my mom died, you know, I was barely 25. I was just getting started in life and at work. I was a, I mean, I still am a black woman, uh, but I was a black woman at that time working in a very white world. You know, I worked at the oldest private bank in the United States of America, where people who looked like me at one point in time were held as collateral on the bank's balance sheet. And I didn't feel comfortable being totally vulnerable in that environment or really in any environment back then. Like I didn't, I didn't feel safe. You know, I felt like if I were to be vulnerable and let go and let people know just how much I was hurting and exactly how I was feeling, I would fall apart and it would be embarrassing and just, you know, this big mess. Whereas 10, 11 years later, when we lost our pregnancy, I had developed for better or worse, kind of a fuck you resume with Wall Street and White House and Harvard and own my own business and happily married and now the house in the suburbs with the dog. Like, I had established myself in such a way that emotional vulnerability just became a much easier thing for me. Um, and I realized that because not everyone in this country has access to the same things that bring about feelings of physical, emotional, psychological, community safety, not everyone is able to really be vulnerable. You know, I found a lot of the discussion around, <clears throat> excuse me, vulnerability is centered on white women. And I wanted to peel that back a little bit and at least open up the conversation for people to start to consider, you know, who gets to be vulnerable? What does it really mean to be safe? And what is the connection between safety and vulnerability and grief and healing. And so my hope with that chapter is really just to start a conversation on these themes. You know, I certainly haven't figured it all out. And even the research doesn't fully figure it all out because so many of these issues come down to systemic inequities that are going to take generations to fix. Um, and a lot of political will that we haven't yet shown in this country. I really appreciate Sorry, you know, that was a long answer. <laughs> no, that's, you know, you, you, you took it where I was hoping you were going to take it. You know, in, in part, I was so excited to host you on this show. You know, this show is primarily for educators who are really passionate about LGBTQ plus inclusion in K-12 education, but that's nuanced, right? Emotional literacy is part of that. And grief, I think, is one of those emotions that gets 
the least airtime, um, you know, is unfortunately, I think, still a taboo. And as you say, that piece about being able to be vulnerable and have that time and space for healing, not everybody has the same access to that entry point. And, um, it, you know, I, I, I feel like I've experienced this a little bit with sometimes folks will feel entitled to details about my coming out story. But you know, because I am white, the questions that I get asked are far different from those that my wife, who is Asian, will be asked. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, just the ways in which some folks feel really entitled to personal details, you know, in different ways. And it is, of course, attached to identity. When, when folks do feel entitled to questions where you know, th this is personal. And your book, of course, goes into personal anecdotes, but I, I know that for sure there are certain details that they are for you and your family and, yep. you know, loved ones closest to you only. When folks have that sense of entitlement to details, what have you learned in terms of how to handle that, um, yep. how to maintain that boundary? Do you have any guidance or advice there? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. And it's something that comes up quite a bit with regard to our son. Um, he's adopted, which we are very, very open about adoption. You know, we, we want people to know that after this period of immense struggle, we were very fortunate, you know, five years into our journey to becoming parents, to get a call one day and, and become Bennett's mom and dad the next day, which was pretty wild. Um, but the questions and some of the comments that people make especially in this environment where for better or worse adoption has become more politicized as a result of the conversations that are happening around roe v wade in this country and so i am very quick to clarify that you know bennett isn't lucky like we are lucky you know i don't want anyone to talk differently about my child than they would about anyone else's child um i also am big on clarifying for people that you know while we're happy to celebrate and talk about the fact that bennett is adopted and talk about you know some of the challenges and situations that you know matt and i encountered on the path to becoming adoptive parents that's where the story stops for us you know we never share details about where bennett is from or you know his birth mother or his adoption agency because fundamentally for us the story is no longer about just the two of us at that point. You know, it becomes about these two other people, both of whom I think are very important. And I feel a, um, I feel a very deep commitment to protecting both of them and, and, you know, doing what I can to protect their privacy and, you know, any boundaries that they may have, or, you know, that Bennett may have in the future. And so it's a combination of just being prepared always, and this is the exhausting thing about being in any sort of marginalized group, you always have to be ready for better or worse to protect yourself, you know, whether it's emotional protection in the form of boundaries, or, you know, in some cases, I think in particular, about the transgender community, you know, being prepared to protect your physical safety. Um, and so my, you know, my big piece of advice to folks out there who are navigating those kinds of difficult conversations and sort of intrusive questions from others on the regular is to 
communicate your boundaries, do what you can whenever possible to avoid people who are likely to violate them and, and, you know, feel the entitlement to ask those kinds of questions. And also don't be afraid to just ignore people. There were so many people when we lost our pregnancy who wanted to go on and on about, you know, God's plan, or maybe if we just like relaxed and stopped trying, you know, we would get pregnant or had we considered adoption, you know, all of the things. And I just ignored them because I'm like, you have no idea what this journey is that we're on and I don't need to explain it to you. So bye, Felicia. Yeah, that's, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's really important. And I, I think um, with age, I've gotten a little bit better at realizing, you know, again, we don't owe folks any, no, any details you're about under anything. No obligation. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, you know, social media can be sort of a, Another complication with that this morning, one of my favorite podcasters, shout out again to um, Bridget Todd, who has a great program called There Are No Girls on the Internet, has an episode about so-called sharenting and the pressure on, on parents and caretakers. Um, and, and again, some of the considerations in terms of what is being shared on social media. Yeah. I'm wondering for you in that vein, to what extent social, social media has been a community that has affirmed and supported you in the decisions that you've made or um, has it been the opposite where um, you know as as you say it's sort of another factor that you need to either ignore or be maintaining boundaries for or is it a balance of both yeah I, I was gonna say it's a balance of both I have been very fortunate social media has led to some phenomenal connections and relationships and virtual support and people who I've met online who've become friends in real life, you know, especially during the pandemic when we were all stuck at home. And I think social media became a bigger part of our lives in a lot of ways. And I've been incredibly grateful for it. You know, social media is what led to my book deal. Ultimately, you know, I was I was writing constantly about the pain that I was experiencing after our pregnancy loss and, and you know, how it connected back to the loss of my mom. That led to an article in Glamour that a lot of people shared, including, you know, all of our Glamour social media, which led to calls from agents and then a book deal, you know? So, so I, I definitely see the positive sides of it. Having said that, I both have to protect myself from some of the hateful backlash that comes when you write a book that centers a non-white experience. Um, and also, you know, when you write articles about issues that, again, center like the experience of a black woman in America. And so I, I'm constantly having to, you know, make sure I'm mindful when the hateful stuff comes in, you know, doing what I need to do to protect myself. Um, and then also, because social media has now become an extension of my work setting thoughtful boundaries around how much time I'm spending on social media has also become an important part of my personal self-care practice. So generally, I'm not on social media on Sundays, and I have a 45-minute time limit across all apps every other day of the week. So, 
that's that's uh, you know I aspire to that. I um, I have so much admiration. It's hard. Yeah, it, it is. And um, you know we had um, an organizer on this program a few weeks ago, Sabrina Joy Stevens, who talks about approaching her social media the same way she does the grocery store. Like have a list. What are you going yes. there for? And then only get the things that you intended to go yes. there for. Exactly. Because otherwise, I mean, you go down all these rabbit holes, and then I don't know if this has happened to you, but I also have found being on social media sometimes makes me feel like I'm not doing enough, like with regard to my work and professional accomplishments, or even some of the personal stuff, you know, seeing some people's family photo shoots and things. I'm like, I can't get my shit together to do that right now. (laughs) So there's also that piece of it, you know, like reducing those feelings of like envy and insecurity. Um, So yeah, I'm all about the boundaries. Glad to hear it. Um, you know, and I, I do want to say quickly, listeners, uh, I will share the link to that glamour post. You know, having read it though, I do have to say the depth to which you get in in the book for folks who may have come across um, that link and you haven't yet checked out the full book. I just want to say the book is also economically written. You know, for a book that is not like 500 pages long, you still really grapple with so much. And specifically, I really love that you dig into the idea that grief can be chaotic, messy, non-linear. I think that's an important message for us to understand that it's not formulaic. When we embrace that messiness, what do we end up making more space for? Healing, I think. Um, You know, for me, when I stopped making myself feel bad for the feelings that I have connected to the loss of my mom or even the loss of our pregnancy, infertility, really anything, frankly, it has enabled me to process those feelings more quickly and sort of move through the hardest stuff faster and with greater ease. Because at the end of the day, you know, whether we're talking about grief and loss or, you know, the challenges that come with an LGBTQ plus identity at times um, or the challenges that come with being, you know, black, brown, AAPI, et cetera, or just life, right? There's always going to be stuff that hurts. You know, there, there's going to be pain. There's going to be trauma. There's going to be challenges. There's even just going to be days where you're just having a shit day, right? And I think the sooner that we let go of any sort of shame or judgment or limits that we place on ourselves around feeling a certain way, the sooner those feelings pass. And that's not just me saying that, I promise. That is also research. And I mean, it's true according to every therapist I've seen in my life, you know, naming feelings is what reduces their power over us. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think for me in my 40s, I, I just, I think a lot about how that was not really a part of my education coming up. I, I feel like a lot of folks my age will talk about how it was constantly about like, suppress those feelings, you know, don't cry really important to just, you know, uh, grind through it kind of a thing. And emotional literacy is something that I'm glad seeing focused on more and more in K-12 education, because even that practice of checking in, what specific emotion am I feeling? Is it just anger? 
Is it something, yes. you know, can I can I go a little bit deeper and um, like what type of anger is it? Am I sure that's the main emotion? Um, you know, again, it just it's sort of like I'm learning still how to do that. And it's hard, I think, because it's different. You know, I am about to turn 40. So like similar generation and especially just in the black community. And I did an interview yesterday with a young black man. He's like, I just feel like I have no idea how to do this. I was like, I know it's, it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's hard because it's all different. So take your time with it. And for me right now, you know, I'm realizing just how exhausting my life has been the last few years. And I am actively making efforts to scale back and really focus on my care so that I can have more time for processing feelings and, and, you know, figuring out what I need in this season. And so I just want to encourage folks who are listening and who are trying, you know, trying to figure out how do I move through the hard stuff? Like show yourself some compassion, first of all, because the way that we're trying to you know, live with loss and learn from the trauma and the challenging things that come up in life. Like it's not how most of us were raised. And so be gentle with yourself. Yeah, thank you. You know, again, it's a message that I think we need to sit with. Um, and, And I love that, you know, your book, you share anecdotes of the ramifications of not doing that, which is, I think, important for folks to hear. Um, you know, again, the, the audience of this show often tasked with mentoring students through that process of cultivating interpersonal skills. You know, what does it mean to navigate friendships? What does it mean to be there um, for our friends? And in your book, again, page 76, being really specific here, <laughs> um, you write, quote, the toughest part about friendship during loss can be asking friends to help you, end quote. Your book really addresses our collective need to seek, foster self-care and compassion. And it seems like, again, readers have a lot to learn about supporting and showing up as an ally for a friend, for a loved one, for a peer. Does the idea of using your book as a resource, not just for self, um, but a resource to support a friend or a family member, does that feel applicable to you? Or do you feel like I'm, I'm perhaps like, you know, not really suggesting the, the the primary intention for your text. No, 100%. So my book, I wrote my book for people who are experiencing or who have experienced grief and loss so that hopefully they suffer less than I did. And also for people who are curious about our experiences. You know, it's really hard, I think, to understand how challenging grief and loss are if you haven't been through it yourself. And so I hope that this book gives those folks who haven't been there yet and are trying to support someone they love some guidance and insight on what that looks like and how they might go about doing it. You know, fundamentally, I want this book to both normalize the experience of grief and loss for folks and to continue to shed a light on these questions around healing and equity and privilege and safety and identity. Um, and so I think both grievers and those who are trying to support grievers, it's that's absolutely my ideal audience. Happy to hear you say that. Because, <laughs> um, you know, again, a, 
a recommendation, listeners, that I'd love to leave you with for today. Schools have professional development libraries, and I I really think in schools we we kind of it's almost cliche to repeat this phrase of like relationships are everything. And if that is true, I think we need resources like your book on our shelves because you know emotional literacy and grief, as I mentioned before, I think has not been discussed in the depths that it needs to be discussed. And I, I really just find this book is a great resource that hopefully is going to push that taboo away, make us realize that we have to be having these conversations um, and that we have to have them in that intersectional way. You know, as you just yes. mentioned, it's about realizing identities are going to make grief more accessible. Some have a, a privilege there that others do not have. Um, and exactly. how do we address that? I just really appreciate that your book really weaves in and out of all of those intersections because um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, grief has been prioritized for some, not for all. Exactly, exactly. So. I am. I am with you, and I'm really glad that you liked it and are sharing it with others. I really appreciate it. No, honestly, it's um, you know I I feel like I'm at that age where, uh, you know, like I was I was just chatting with a friend earlier. Like, remember in our 20s when we thought certain things were really difficult, and then you know we were really <laughs> dramatic. But um, you know, oh, I, yes. And I I just uh, you know this this book has been so useful to me personally. So I, I want to also address it's not just a, a professional learning text. It really is that personal. And I, I kind of think in the world of education, if resources aren't looking at both of those worlds, what are they doing? And, and your book does yeah. such a great job to balance both. So thank you so much for your time. Um, again, listeners, I'll make sure over there in the show notes, you can find that book. Um, you'll you'll find ways to learn more from today's incredible guest. Thank you so much for for sharing and uh, for giving us a little bit more information behind the book. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you again for giving up some of your time this week to be with us independent media like the show you're listening to right now relies so heavily on ratings and reviews if you can take a quick 60 seconds to leave a review for the show to rate it i would greatly appreciate it see you next thursday